Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Thursday, June the 22nd, 2023. Two days from the weekend. June, of course, being Pride Week, and here in San Francisco, where I am, uh, overlooking the Castro. Everyone is very excited about the weekend, uh, uh, the weekend celebrations for Pride. We've been focusing a little bit on uh, gay politics, gay writing, gay identity this month. We've done a lot of shows. One with the Iranian uh, American uh, writer for uh, for. Uh, young adults, Abdi Nazimian. He's based in uh, Los Angeles and why he embraces the idea of being known as a queer writer. Another with the, uh, the British gay activist, Paul Burston, on his survivor's story. And actually later today, we're doing a show with Jamie Kirchick. He's been on the show before. He's a historian of gay Washington. Uh, and he uh, he has an, an interesting piece in Liberty's uh, Quarterly this month saying, I am a direct beneficiary of the most successful social movement in American history. I am a gay man. I'm not sure whether my guest uh, today, R.K. Russell, who is uh, uh, amongst the very few uh, open uh, gay American football players, would necessarily share his opinion about... Uh, being the direct beneficiary of the most successful social movement in American history. R.K. is the author of a new book, The Yards Between Us, a memoir of life, love, and football, in those orders, I guess. And he's joining us from Los Angeles, California. R.K., welcome, and congratulations on the new book. Do you agree with Jamie Kirchick, R.K.? Uh, are you, uh, as a gay man, the direct beneficiary of one of the most successful social movements in American history? Well, I can't say because that's that's not my experience. I, I identify as bisexual. Um, I, I tried to make the differentiation because a lot of the times through my journey, as detailed in my book, um, bisexuality is not represented or is not proclaimed or is not given in a form that feels um, viable for people or feels like a true valid identity. Um, so I can't say as, as, as a bisexual man and not a gay man, I cannot say. I will say that my identity and who I am, my experience is the color and the joy of my life and that everything I do now moving forward um, thrives because I am a self-loving, um, self-happy and self-respecting black bisexual man. You describe yourself as a self-loving black bisexual man, but that hasn't always been the case. That, of course, is the the core of the narrative in the yards between us. You grew up in Texas, and you weren't always quite as self-loving as you are now. Tell me a little bit about your background, the story of your life, both before uh, and after you got into professional football. Yeah, of course. I was raised by a single mother. Um, I was born in Buffalo, New York at first. Uh, I suffered a loss of my stepfather, who was helping raise me at the time, around six or seven, to a motorcycle accident. Um, my mother then decided to move us to Dallas, Texas, where we had some family, her sister um, and my, my uncle, her sister's husband. And that is the first time where two big shifts in my life happened. It was the first time in Texas um, 
the southern state of Texas where I felt othered, where I was seen through other people's lens um, as a black boy. And I, I was always big, so probably at times as a black man and, you know, had to face their own ignorance, and their own thoughts of what that meant and their own stereotype and, and racism at the time. But Texas is also the place where I found football. It's the place where I found my love for sport and community. Football is the first time uh, being raised by a single mother where I felt part of a larger family, a larger community where I had brothers in the shape of teammates and I had male figures and mentors in the shape of coaches. Um, so, so it was a lot. And, you, you know, you, we bring up the topic of self-love. Uh, a lot of childhood, I think, is trying to figure out myself. Um, and then once you kind of figure it out, then the decision and the active processes are made to then love that. Um, to love yourself and then to represent yourself, to always walk in as your authentic self. Uh, as a young person, I put my identity in football because it gave me so much, and I let that dictate then how I viewed myself, how successful I was on or off the field, um, how much money I can make or how many plays I can make took the precedent, uh, the precedence of of how I saw myself and how I thought of myself and also how other people were able then to experience me. Um, I went to Purdue University on scholarship, started there for four years playing football as well. College was the first time where I understood that I wasn't straight. It was my first time where I had an encounter of uh, intimate encounters with the same gendered person, the same sex person. Uh, and I talked a little bit earlier about bisexuality. To me, it just made it more confusing because I was also having attractions and relationships with women um, that felt just as real, just as vibrant and passionate and, and intensive. Uh, I get drafted then to the Dallas Cowboys in 2015, and all of that questioning kind of goes to the subside. I didn't at the time at that sport see anyone like me, see anyone that was LGBTQ plus or queer in professional male sports at that time outside of Jason Collins um, in the NBA. In football, we had Michael Sam who came out and got as gay and got drafted the year before I entered the NFL. But once I got there, he was no longer actively in the league. Uh, so there were a lot of cautionary tales in places where there could have been really inspir inspirational moments. Um, but I use that to validate uh, staying closeted. We talk about the self-love journey. That definitely was not the journey I was on at that time. I was, I was in the journey of being a football player and putting all of my identity into that. Um, one that in the book, The Arts of Penis, I detail becomes very... Um, dark at times and in and, and survival then becomes linked to me finding who I am and being proud of who I am and sharing that uh, with the world. Uh, you came out, so to speak, I think in a very uh, uh, well-known interview with uh, ESPN in, in 2019, in which you talk about having two goals, returning to the NFL and living your life openly. What was it like as a professional footballer to have this part of your life that you weren't willing to reveal? I think when I was in the league, when I was playing and, and in the closet and keeping it secret, it was a weight. I don't think you understand it as someone um, who's kind of always lived with this weight, who has always lived with whatever the question of identity or um, the shame or the secrecy of identity. Uh, you don't really understand how it's affecting you, how it's affecting you as a, as a, as a teammate or even just as a human, as a brother, as a son. Um, a lover and a partner, it was something that was looking back at it was so obviously detrimental, not just to my performance on the field, but to my experience um, of life. So, you know, when we talk about, you know, sports and identity and, and it not being, you know, not to tie in social issues and not, and not to do that thing, that is not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is allow young athletes, all athletes, honestly, especially male athletes, um, to understand that 
who they are is not at odds with the career that they have and the talents that they have and the things they want to do. Um, and that doing that, that suppressing that part of yourself as any part of yourself leads to then um, the mental health risk, or at the very least, to not living the fulfilled and joyous and full life um, that you should be living. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, I, I haven't spent any time with professional footballers, uh, American footballers, but I think the, the stereotype is that they're not a very tolerant bunch when it comes to alternative sexualities. Is that fair? I mean, I, is the stereotype ever fair? <laughs> you know, well, I mean, you know, I mean, you're you're an insider. You, you've you been in the locker room. Many of your friends and colleagues are professional American footballers. Of course. Yeah. Um, is there a particular intolerance or is that imagined? I think that the intolerance in in is something that comes from a very real place. I think that, especially throughout the history of the league, we can see very obvious moments of um, in, of intolerance, or at the very least, um, moments where football or sport is kind of gatekeeped from the LGBTQ plus community. I think there are instances in that then. I think there are instances in that now. I think where we are now in the National Football League is to look at where those things, where it's coming from, where there are moments where there are silence, um, where there could be actually inclusion or where there could be action or where you could, you know, to, to kind of take that um, that middle majority and to activate them um, or at least to to take the, the temperature of what they're thinking when it comes to society, when it comes to diversity uh, in their league and in their fan base. I think we're seeing far more action. I think if you talk on a player scale in locker rooms, my, you know, just my own experience in coming out and being those locker rooms before coming out and after uh, players are much more willing and loving and accepting and open of diverse players than I think they're given credit for. Um, I think that at the end of the day, if you're on a team, as long as you're a good teammate, as long as you're a respectful person, that's all that your teammates actually care about. Um, and I think we don't talk enough about that. Okay, you don't need me to tell you that American football is a is a very violent game. I, I'm not an expert. When I watch it, it seems to remind me of war in a way. Um, is um, the level of violence, physical violence in the game, um, and the issues that you've struggled and dealt with in your life, are they connected? Are there some sports which are less violent, which doesn't involve violence, tennis or golf or even baseball, uh, where you think these issues are slightly different or or is that a wrong way of thinking about it? Not necessarily a wrong way of thinking about it. I don't think I see it in that way just because violence to me isn't inherently um, anything. <laughs> and also, you know, the, the violence that is displayed in football is, is amongst people who are all um, aware of the repercussions of it, especially more now than ever, and who are still engaging with it because of the love and the positives and the other things that it brings um, to them, their lives and their families. So so I don't, I don't see the violence of it kind of as a measuring stick or a benchmark for how accepting or not accepting the sport is. I will say that in all five major um, sports leagues, male, male sports leagues, that there's only one active um, LGBTQ plus player Oh, right now, Carl Nassib, who came out two years ago in the NFL, is gay and who is a free agent now, still looking for a team uh, in that all of those leagues vary on, on level of violence or physicality, yet still face the same wall when it comes to um, LGBTQ plus inclusion. Uh, I know you're a big admirer of the L.A. Sparks head coach, Kurt Miller, who came out in terms of his uh, openly male uh, gay identity. 
what about management administration in the game? What, what was your experience of that? I think in terms of the NFL, I will say that the representation um, on all parts of the league and in all facets, where it be executive, where it be in coaching, or it be in players, needs to can go a long way in being more representative of its fan bases, more representative of its players and of its league, of its cities. I think that, you know, even to bring race into it, that in the NFL, a league where the players are predominantly black players and to not have, um, I think, even a 10% of the head coaches in the NFL be a black um, head coaches, I, I think is something that needs to be looked at and needs to be changed. Same with um, executives, same in the offices, same with LGBTQ plus people that, you know, the leagues and the cities are not representative um, of each other, that the teams are not representative of the cities and representative of the times. I think that's something that we can always look at. I think that's something that's not just sports related, uh, but is really American related at this time. I'll just speak on, on the country that I live in, uh, that we can always look to making um, every position, every part and facet of our organizations, our teams, our communities more diverse and more representative of the whole of our society. Speaking of that whole society, uh, your book uh, and your work deals with not just being uh, bisexual male, but also uh, African-American. How does those two elements of your identity, do they connect? Uh, uh, do they exist in parallel? Um, or, or, or do the issues, the struggles, the problems, the challenges, the opportunities, are they so entangled that they're hard to separate? Yeah, I, I believe that they are entangled. For me, you know, there are times where you know, to speak about black rights and speak about the social injustice that happens to black people and to about race um, feels to me uh, inherently also LGBTQ plus, whether I say it or not, whether I bring up my identity or not, um, because to speak, to talk about black people um, and to fight against racism against black people and people of color is to talk about all of us, is to talk about the, the black people that are straight, the black people that are gay, bisexual, transgendered, lesbian, queer in any way, shape or form. Um, you know, to me though, that to me, those are one and the same. And when I speak of LGBTQ plus issues, it's kind of the same thing that there are LGBTQ plus black people where this is also, you know, affecting them and affecting us. Uh, and, and all in all, when I, when I look at any cause, um, when I look at any form of bigotry or hate, um, sexism, racism, homophobia, misogyny, all these things, to me, the thing that we're all fighting is the ideal, the ideal that one group of humans, um, one group of people are seen as less than because of how they, the way they were born or how they identify who they are, the color of their skin. To me, that's the same idea. Um, so anytime I present it with that ideal of one category of people being subhuman for any reason, um, <laughs> that is just who they are and of their experience. I, I fight against that. Does America scare you, RK? There are people in politics who seem to be hostile, sometimes openly, against people of different skin colors and of sexual identities. Are you afraid uh, in America today? A lot of people are warning about an imminent civil war. I think fear is something that ebbs and flows. I think there are times where as a black man in America, as a bisexual in America, I am afraid that there is a healthy dose of fear um, that motivates me to be active, to be a change maker, to be a thought leader, to, to share my platform and to use it. Um, I think that once I become a father, because I do have aspirations also as well as is bringing kids into this world, that that fear will intensify um, under the guise of protecting my children. 
Uh, but I also think that being who I am and being in the work and seeing the positive change that I am also an optimist at heart, that I see um, the battles that we are winning and that I know that this pushback and this large pushback, especially in politics, is because they understand that they're losing. They understand that the LGBTQ plus community and the black community at this point are more powerful, more visible and louder than we have ever been, that we will continue to be that way, that the next generation identifies more and more LGBTQ plus as we get. Um, you know, that there are more and more diverse outlooks and people and perspectives coming in and that they feel their hold on whatever they, they feel they, they have a hold on um, is slipping. Uh, you uh, are best known as a, as a footballer and a sexual rights activist, but you're also now an author, uh, The Yards Between Us, a memoir of life, love and football. I'm not sure whether the book will get banned in some states, perhaps Florida or Texas. How would you feel if um the school administrations in say texas or florida said we don't want kids reading this book we think it might corrupt them in one way or the other how would you feel about that you know i mean to me that is beyond my control so i, I also really well it's obviously below your control lot, but, but but you're an author now you, you you've got this book out um how, how do you feel about we we've done a, a number of conversations with with writers uh, on this, like uh, Abdi Nazimi, and how, how how outraged would you be? No, I would I wouldn't be outraged at all. I mean, if if you ban my book because you feel like I'm speaking of a perspective that you don't understand or that you don't want to share, um, that would not outrage me. To me, that's I would actually feel sorry for the kids who are being robbed of the experience um, to see either their own life or their own POV shared through my book or to get to know someone that maybe they aren't readily available in their communities, in their circles, in their families, and to just show the human side of my story and the empathy. Um, outrage wouldn't necessarily be my reaction to it, but I would be, of course, sad and disappointed um, just for the youth who I know feel at times like they're not getting um, the representation or the, the diverse stories that are out there. Um, you know, it, it would be a loss, I think, for, for them and for that community, um, not something that I think you know, I would be necessarily outraged against. What does outrage you then? Oh my gosh, what does outrage me? I mean, it changes. I, I really, I feel at times very level-headed about situations. Like I said, I do feel at times, I'm a very optimistic person. Um, I think the things that instantly get uh, reactions from me, of course, are violence, um, violent acts against people just for being who they are, violent acts against Black people, um, displaying violent acts against Black people, mass displaying it on social media, on news and media, um, displaying violent acts against LGBTQ plus people, trans people specifically, Black trans people being the most targeted and the most hated um, thing. Those things um, incite outrage from me, but that quickly comes also with action there's no point in me sitting here and being outraged if I'm not going to do anything, if I'm not going to use my voice, if I'm not going to use my platform, my money at times, my finances, um, my opportunity in my life to alleviate that problem, to make it a little less scary in America for someone else. As I mentioned, your uh, your 2019 piece in ESPN said that you wanted to return to the NFL. I don't think you have done. In fact, your, your NFL career is quite thin. I mean, you played 23 games. You had 21 tackles, three sacks. Congratulations on that. The, the, the astonishing thing about professional American football is that you're not unusual, uh, that these careers last such a short time. Does that, maybe not outrage you, but does that disappoint you? Is there a, ne a need to change the system so that guys like you, talented 
athletes, but maybe not remarkable athletes, have longer careers, more meaningful careers? Uh, that's an interesting question. I, I think the phrasing of it is interesting. I'm not disappointed by anything that I've done thus far in my life. I think that for LGBTQ plus athletes, if they want to pursue sport and stay in sport, and it shouldn't be contingent on who they are or their identity, I think that's valid. I think I fight for that every day. I think there are multiple people um, in this space doing that as well. Some that have come after me and some that have come before me. I will say that the call that I got from the NFL after coming out was one that it, to me is more substantial than the call to return to a team. It was the call to implicate change for those athletes in the league now and those coming up in the future to impact 32 teams as opposed to maybe impacting one on the field um, to impact 32 teams and to talk to the decision makers, um, the policy makers, the culture creators in the league uh, is the call that I think I was meant to have. Um, the call that came to me after coming out, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, where sport is now. I can say that it's further along than it was when I came out. I say it's further along than it was when Michael Sam came out years before and that we will continue to um, push the needle forward uh, here in sport, that the NFL is continuing to say the right things and that we will continue to make sure that they do the right things as well. Um, you know, my career also, I suffered injury. There's so many, there's so many things uh, that I talk about in the book, the arts experience that affected my career, um, being closeted, being injured, losing my best friend to cancer at the time where I was starting in Tampa Bay as a defensive end. Um, you know, the careers are short. Life is short. Life is unexpected. That's a part of it. It's what we do next moving forward and how we change things um, for the next generation to come. Couple more very quick questions. Um, you've you've talked um, publicly in the book and in other pieces about praying to God. Uh, there are people on the other side who think that God is not quite perhaps as tolerant as your God. Uh, what gives you confidence that that God is tolerant of other sexual identities? Just, you know, I'm under the understanding that God does not make mistakes and that he made me the way that I am. I never chose to be bisexual. I can't choose to be anything else right now. I can't, didn't choose to be black. Um, I did not choose any of these things. I feel like, you know, God created me in the way that he did. There were challenges it made on this world, whether it be man-made, whether it be an opposing force to the creator that we all see, or whether they be of him um, that I have navigated with grace. When I've leaned into who I am, I have been blessed. Um, in favored beyond comprehension, and that that continues to happen for me. And I believe that I cannot do that within of myself. I believe that I am being helped, that I am being loved and cared for by someone bigger than me. Um, you know, and that it's really a personal thing. Me and my 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 relationship with religion or spirituality or the Creator is something that's between me and them, and it's something that uh, will not be dictated for me by other people. Well, that's a compelling response. Finally, uh, the. The book's already been picked up by uh, Sony Pictures. Uh, so there's going to be a movie or a television series. Congratulations on that. Who's going to play R.K. Russell? R.K. That is a great question. I have no idea. <laughs> Who would you like to play R.K. Russell? I really don't know. I, I will say, you know, being a sports person and, and obviously, you know, I wrote the book. I'm going to co-write the series as well as co-executive produce it. I'm still being introduced to a new world. Uh, Gabrielle Union is my co-executive producer. And I'm definitely leaning a lot on her knowledge and who she is in this space. Uh, and you know what comes to that decision when, when we when we have to. Right now, it is open for the best possible. Could you play person. yourself? Would you do yeah. you have any uh, acting aspirations? I do not. 